Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Today, we're talking about Song of Solomon. Now, Song of Solomon is not a book that ever came up in my Sunday school classes. My teachers never shared this with me. They never walked it in. And, uh, but it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a crucial book. It's an important book. And so we're going to begin today as we walk through. We're going to give just a little bit of background on it and then talk about the purpose, one of the many purposes. There's, uh, there's so, God's Word is so rich that every time you look at it, there's always something new that comes out. But we're going to talk about the background and how we read it, and then we're going to talk the, the purpose that are in it. So let's begin by just reading part of this first chapter. So this is, when you open the Song of Solomon, these were the first words that you saw. Song of Solomon, uh, often called Song of Songs, starting with chapter one. And you'll see several characters that are in this because it's poetry. And, and the, the first speaker here is she. It says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant, your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. Then there's this chorus identified as others that says, We will exalt and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. And then back to she. It says, I am very dark but lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon, do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me, you whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon, for why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? And then the man comes in and he says, If you do not know, O most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock and pastor your young goats beside the shepherd's tents. I compare you, my love, to a mare. That's a horse. Among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. Now, many people, they read that first chapter and they're like, I'm just going to go to the book of Ephesians. I'm going I'm to go a little further. But it's so important. Here's the background. So as we read in, I want to give you just a little bit of background as we dive into this day. How should we read it? Well, first of all, in the whole title, when it says Song of Songs, we need to recognize that this is a Hebrew idiom here. So it's, it's like Holy of Holies or King of Kings. It means this is the greatest, you know, where so like of all the holy, you are the holiest, speaking of God. King of Kings, of all the kings, you are the greatest. And in other words, of all the songs, this is the the greatest song. And it's fitting that these love songs would be the greatest because what's one of the key words that we use to identify God? Love. God is love. This is, this is how we describe God. And it's because of his love that he's made all of us, every one of us in his image, the Imago Dei, and he forgave us and he made a way for us to be reconciled to him while we were still sinners, while we were still rejecting him, while we were totally out of alignment, the love of God, the sacrificial love, gave his love for us. And because of his love for us, he knows that it's not good for us to be alone. 
that we have this strong desire from God to be together, and this gift, the love of God, is a great gift from Him. Love is a gift from God, but it is a powerful gift. I mean, love is, is one of the most powerful gifts that we have. It's, it's, a, it's such a powerful force that when you read poetry, any poetry, or you listen to songs and the popular songs, one of the common, the most common themes that you'll hear sung about or professed about is, is love. It's a powerful gift. All the popular songs you will hear, they're talking about it. They're talking about the pursuit of it. They're talking about the enjoyment of love. Or they're talking about how he broke my heart, my achy, achy heart, or whatever. And all good, bad, and ugly, it's about love, either the before or after and the pain. It's, it's, it's just out there. And Song of Solomon, what we're looking at today is we're looking at this collection of poems. And there are two main characters, and it's an engaged uh, it's this engaged couple, the, the Shulamite woman that we identified here, and this is the main voice. You know, she's, she's the main speaker, and then we have this shepherd man, and the poems, they're mainly about their love for each other, and it's the story of their love where it begins with courtship in the beginning, there's this pursuing, and, and then the wedding that takes place, and then their marriage. And as you will read through, you will see that there's this pursuit there's this pursuit that takes place where, where there's, there's this interweaving of looking, they're seeking, they're trying to find each other, they're enjoying one another. And I think this is a lesson about how relationships work. There's this pursuit. Several decades ago, I saw Stephanie Bradshaw come in. And I began this pursuit, seeking, finding, getting to know her, walking this through. This is the nature of love that happens in our life. And in everything in the Bible, there's always this correlation to God because this is the same approach that we take with God. There's, there's this pursuit. He's pursued us. We only know God because he's pursued us. And then there's this pursuit of once we know God, of, of finding him, looking to him. Because it's in this process that we know more about God and we also know more about ourselves. But before we go any further, I think it's important to talk about the, the language that's here, okay? So this is language. It's a little bit different because you'll never hear in a love song today of a guy cranking a guitar and saying, she is so beautiful, she looks just like a horse, okay? So it's a little bit different. And while there are things that might make you blush a little bit as you read or, you know, you might be kind of surprised and kind of, and the language can be a little, a little confused. You know, one was that, that we read earlier, I compare you, my love, to a horse, but then later, it also says things where it compares them to your eyes are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Your teeth, your teeth are like sheep's teeth. I've never had a dentist say your teeth are like sheep's teeth. Your neck is like the Tower of David. It built in rows of stone and hang on at a thousand shields. I mean, you never walk up and say, you are so beautiful, I could hang a thousand shields from your neck. Right? And it says, your lips drip like honey. That's a way of saying, and you drool. You know? And I, I don't know if we have a picture. There's some de depictions here of this. This is from the Bible Project, right? So if you were to literally, Mom, look who I brought home. <laughs> right? And again, it's, it's important to recognize that in this, it seems strange, but the, the Hebrew metaphors, they're not visual, thank God. What is happening here is they're describing things of great worth, right? Different context, different culture. Because when you talked about a horse, this was one of the most valuable things. And it says, this is a horse in Pharaoh's chariot. 
It's talking about the value. It's talking about the things that meant a lot to them, and, and it's, just, it's a describing of it, and it reflects the depth and the value of what it means. I think if someone from back in that day could hear our love songs today, they'd be like, man, that is shallow, that is cheap, there's no worth, there's no value in that. So as we look at this, we're looking at language, we're looking at things that are spoken that talk about the value, the depth of a person, which is important, which is significant, right? So, and also, as we look at Song of Solomon, we need to recognize that Song of Solomon, it's also part of wisdom literature, right? So it's the, it's the poetry, but it's also included in the wisdom literature. You know, uh, King Solomon, he was recognized for his wisdom. In First Kings, it talks about this wisdom so much, about his love for learning, about his wisdom, his poetry, that in, it, it, it says here in First Kings chapter 4, it says, God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure, and breath of mind like the sand on the seashore. So that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and, and of reptiles and of fish. And, and people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard his wisdom. So as we study this today and as we very quickly spend a little bit of time with this, I think we need to recognize that, yes, this, this is a work of poetry, but there is wisdom here, that there's great purpose and that there's a great lesson to be learned. So what's one of the great lessons here? I mean, there's so many lessons, so many things you can pull from it. But what is God trying to bring uh, to our attention for today? And I think one of the biggest things that he's trying to bring to our attention is the power of attraction, the power of love, which is no surprise to any of you. How many of you know that love is a powerful force, and it's used, and it's marketed, and it's there? I mean, this is not like, Dwayne, thanks for bringing something we've never heard before today. But I think it's important that we recognize it because we often under-recognize this. See, the Song of Solomon, it illustrates the power of this relation of love. The, the chapters and the poetry, they point out the passion and the desire as these lovers pursue each other. And it recognizes, again, that this is a powerful, but we need to recognize this is a powerful gift from God. Every good and perfect gift is from who? It's from God. God is the one who gives all of this, and, he, and it's a gift that he's given to us. And what is often missed, though, is that it's in order to enjoy this gift— we have to take seriously the responsibility that comes with it. I mean, have you ever had somebody give you this wonderful gift, and it's especially to a child, and they say, now, before I give this to you, right, I, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about it. I want, I want to train you a little bit about it because I want you to enjoy the gift, but I don't want you to get hurt, and I don't want you to hurt anybody around you. See, with great power comes great responsibility. And as it relates to love, it has the power to be enjoyed and, and, to, and to strengthen our lives, but it also has the power to corrupt and destroy our lives. And I think one of the biggest ironies as it relates to this, this book of wisdom, is that as it relates to the life of Solomon, is that although he was the wisest man, he possessed it all, people came to him, they recognized him for his wisdom, that in this area of love, he failed miserably. Isn't that so sad? And I think this is a big lesson to our life, that being wise, like just possessing knowledge, 
doesn't guarantee that you're going to be great at it. How many of you have done things and afterwards you're like, I knew better than to do that, right? Maybe I'm the only confessional honest. I conf- if you're new here, I, I confess every week. <laughs> um, confession is a regular part of every believer's life. But I mean, how many times have you done things and even your mom and dad later said, they said, you knew better than that. Because see, just possessing knowledge, it doesn't mean that you'll be great at it. True wisdom is not just knowing it. True wisdom is the application and living out of what we know to be true. Right? See, we can have knowledge, and we are in one of the one of the highest knowledge times in the course of history. We can go on Google and get stuff that years ago I had, there was no way to watch it. I mean, I grew up with just two channels, so if there was something I wanted to watch, I better be sitting in front of that TV, right, with my, with my hot dog and peanut butter sandwich ready to go. That's, that was my favorite sandwich as a kid. Hot dog, chunky peanut butter, nobody? Okay. Well, if you've not possessed that knowledge. See, it's the application of it. And, and we, we have all the information. But faith without works is dead. And that's not only true as it relates to Jesus, but when we know things and we don't apply it, it is dead to us. I mean, Jesus' greatest charisma of, of the Pharisees was that they had all this knowledge, but they didn't apply it to the fact where he would even call them whitewashed tombs. In other words, you look at it on the outside, you've got the knowledge, you can teach the class, but you're a grave inside because you're not applying it. And I love what one of my professors in seminary said it this way. He said, knowledge that is not applied diminishes in value. We find this great knowledge and information, and we're like, boy, isn't this great? But when we don't apply what we know to be true, it diminishes, diminishes, diminishes to where the point where what we knew to be true, now we begin to question, is that really true? That's how Satan tempted Adam and Eve. He went to them and said, you know, did God really say that? Did God really mean that? And for the kings of Israel, and Solomon was one of the great kings of Israel, God gave clear instructions. And one of the clearest instructions that God gave was in these sexual relationships where God made it very clear, a king is to have one wife. And he had to make this clear because the nation of Israel was always tempted to look like the nations around them, right? Because, because God's plan was not that they would have a king, but that, that he would be their king. He would be the one there. And he gave them prophets, but, that, but they came to him and said, we want to be like the other nations. We want to have a king. Be careful what you wish for. And as it relates here, God gave clear instructions because he knew there would be peer pressure there. And as a king, a king was only to have one wife. So he's like, you don't, you're not to look like them. You're to be separate from them. You're to be different from them. And you're not to engage in all the concubines that they had. And I think this is a huge lesson for us because I've seen people at times where they've said, you know, isn't God okay with all these different sexual relationships? And isn't he okay with concubines and all this stuff? Because it's in the Bible. But I'm like, have you read the whole Bible? Have you seen what has happened? God gave clear instructions, but because he loves us, he records all of history. It's all there. There's no such thing as secrets. That's, that's how we know about David and Bathsheba. I mean, God lays it all out because he loves us, but he also lays out the redemption. But as it relates to the Bible, we need to read all, read all of it because God, just because it's recorded there, he in no way endorses it. He gives a warning to it. A king is only to have one, one wife. In every circumstance, this area of sex and intimacy 
has been one of the biggest areas that has brought down great leaders, not just back then, but even today. Leaders who have not obeyed God's command. I mean, Solomon, who we're talking about today, but even King David, and even Samson. See, in Deuteronomy 17, God gave this clear instruction, speaking about the qualification for kings. He was like, kings must not, not acquire many horses for himself, or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses, since the Lord said to you, you shall never return that way. And he, speaking a king, shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And King Solomon broke every one of these rules. Very clear. See, these prohibitions were laid out because he needed to be reminded that your strength is not in the horses. Your strength is not in all these possessions and all these things or all the sexual exploits. No, your source of strength, your source of everything is found in God and in God alone. You rely on God and nothing else. Everything else falls away. And sadly, King Solomon, the wisest man on earth, he broke all of these. And the sad fact is recorded in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 4, where it says, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord. See, to please his wife, Solomon, he even got involved in sacrifice unto Milcom or Molech, a god that required detestable acts to be performed. This is the wisest man on earth. Possessing knowledge is not enough, and it's a warning for us that if the wisest person can be pulled away, if we're not careful, so can we. So can we. And that is why we have the Song of Solomon, talking about the gift of love, because this type of love, it's a gift from God, because whoever said that God doesn't want you to enjoy, because I'll hear this from young people and old people, everybody, from time to time saying, you know, God doesn't want us to enjoy anything. God doesn't want it to be that. I'm like, have you read the Song of Solomon? Have you, have you read through the Bible? Have you seen it? This, this is a gift. This is a gift that God has given to us. But anything the powerful has the power to destroy you. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about, you know, like I, right now, every summer I always do these projects, right? I get these projects going on, and I always hire myself because I'm free. And walking through, one of the things I remember even with my kids was a power saw. And the first time I used a power saw, my kids were like, Daddy, can I use it? And I'm like, this is very powerful. You can do a lot. You can build a house. You can build all kinds of stuff with it. But a power tool that has the opportunity to make great things can also inflict deadly wounds. See, a power saw misapplied can hurt us, can kill us. And we all know about the power of sexual attraction. And unfortunately, sex has been used because of its attractive, because of the power that it has, it's become the source of so much disease and devastation in our world. It's been the source of destroying families, of destroying individuals, destroying relationships, destroying even children. I mean, sex floods our entertainment. It is hard to turn the radio on or Spotify on and just to listen to it without just these graphic images coming through because it sells. Sex has been used to sell everything, from the unhealthy attachment to addictions to pornography. And sadly, sex trafficking, in any port city especially, like Seattle, sex trafficking is rampant. 
And the greatest of those that are at risk among us are children, minors, often coming from broken places. But they're looking for some kind of hope, and they're pulled into this. See, the lie of free sex has destroyed countless lives. It's destroyed so much. So we have the Song of Solomon. What is God's answer for this great gift that he gave to us to strengthen us for our enjoyment, for the flourishing? His answer is marriage to a love. Princess Bride, that's as best as I can do. I have friends who are better at the impersonation, but they were not available today. See, marriage is the answer that God gave as it relates to intimacy, sexual intimacy. Marriage is the expression, but it's also the protector of our sexual desires. See, sex and the strong attraction that accompanies it, it's a gift of God that was given to us, but because of its power, right, the attraction, the connection, and the way it shapes so much of our life, God gave us a boundary, and the boundary is marriage. See, structure and boundaries actually bring freedom. I think one of the biggest lies from the enemy is that who needs boundaries? Who needs structure? But the areas that we have the greatest freedom in our life and the areas that we have the greatest fulfillment are areas that have boundaries and structure. We just recognized graduates today that went through a lot of years and for some of them a lot of money in highly structured, confined areas. Why? To learn, to apply it, to fulfill the gifts that God has given in their hearts. But education, you know, my bachelor's in education, and one of the first things they tell you is that education cannot take place until you create an environment where learning can take place. Any educators say yes and amen to that, right? Amen. Can't wait for summer, (laughs) right? Because without that, no, no one learns. No one's learning in chaos. You're trying to survive it and get out of it. Structure, it brings freedom. It brings joy. I mean, whether it's, it's, it's a wood shop that I talked about, the structure. Anytime I walked into someone's workshop, they're like, now here's the tools. Here's the ones you can't touch. Here's, and here's, here's how we go through. Here's how we do it so we can create this beautiful art. The same thing is true, and whether it's in music, right? I've gotten to, I've, I've seen everything from Christian heavy metal to jazz to classical music, all these things, and in everything, it's the structure that brings the freedom and brings the greatest expressions of art as we, as we go through this. In athletics, we even complain at the refs for not calling the rule. We could have won. See, structure brings freedom. Structure brings joy. It opens the door for freedom to create and to play and to work together, and it blesses our lives and those around because we walk in and we're like, I can function here. I can flourish here. See, nothing goes well without structure and boundaries, and this is especially true in the area of relationships and sexual intimacy. It's especially true because here's the truth. The more that you destroy God's view and creation of marriage and family, the more that you destroy the presence of love in our world. When you destroy God's view, his creation of marriage and family, the more you destroy the presence of love in our world. And I mean, people in our city, they know this. We just had a training for our leaders on homelessness. And when they talk about the core of like what's causing it, a thing that needs to be fixed, It comes down to the brokenness that's in life, the traumas that's happened in people's lives. This broken relationship 
that stems from here. The abuse, the, so many things have taken place, and we see it. When marriage, the way that God has it, is elevated, and the family flourishes, the society around us flourishes and grows because of it. But when we destroy that view, it destroys everything around us. That's why God, he gave us this gift to only be enjoyed within a covenant relationship. See, marriage, it's a gift from God, and it's designed by God. And as it relates to marriage, we have to be very clear today. When we talk about marriage, we're talking about one man and one woman coming together. It's an exclusive union as described in the Bible. And this goes all the way back to to the creation of humanity back in Genesis chapter 2. God is the creator of all things, and in this he created two distinct genders in his image, male and female, he created them. The Bible, it begins with the wedding of, of Adam and Eve where God alone, he witnessed the coming together of two individuals in the one flesh, but it ends in the book of Revelation with a wedding of Christ to the church. This is, this is, the, this, this is how God describes our relationship to him. See, the Bible is very clear that God has created sexual intimacy to occur only between a man and a woman who are married to each other. We, we see this throughout. And it's so powerful that even here in the Song of Solomon, we see this encouragement, this, this warning to lovers where it says, Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, by, by the gazelles and wild deer, do not awaken love until the time is right. See, as it relates to the sexual relationships, that's, that's why it's important that it's within marriage. Marriage is the only thing that can contain this because marriage is a covenant relationship, right? See, a covenant relationship is the opposite of what the culture around us tells us, where it's just a consumer relationship. You, 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 you get in for what you can get. You get in to please yourself, where it's all about you. And if that person cannot please you or, or, or will, will not do the things that you want, then you get out. That's a consumer. That's a vending machine. That's somebody who walks up and you pay the coin and you get what you want. Otherwise, you're done. See, sex today, sadly, is sold as a product just to be consumed, where it's all about them. And this was, the, this was the sin of King Solomon. Why is we're just possessions? Why is we're just, just something to, to keep up with the other kings around him to show how powerful he was? But there's no commitment to the product. There's no commitment to even themselves because it's all just about pleasing the flesh, and, and the flesh leads to death. If you just feed your flesh, you are on a, a path of destruction. And here's the thing, too. When we treat people this way, when we treat people as commodities instead of the treasure of God. We're destroying around us, right? That's why I've said before, you want to date my daughter, I want to see your background check, I want to see your financial records, I want to see... My kids are my treasure. They're treasures. People are treasures. Even as pastor... I look around, you are all treasures from God. Why would I not say, this is how we treat one another. This is how we speak to one another. That's why language is so important. That's why what we listen to is so important because you are all made in the image of God. You are highly valuable. No matter where you've come from, no matter how old or how young, you are valuable treasures made in the image of God. How we treat each other, how we speak, how we think about each other, it matters. Because you're God's treasure. 
whether I'm downstairs in the nursery or we had a 65-plus luncheon of 40 people on Thursday, treasures of God and everyone in between. This is why God, he established this, this covenant relationship. And he, he created it as, as, as a covenant and not a contract because covenants are based on trust, right? If it's a contract, you're like, I don't want to be taken advantage of here, <laughs> right? Here's a contract, whether it's a rental contract or you're buying something, whatever it is. Covenants, it's a sacrificial relationship, not a transactional relationship, you know, when you first get married, it's like, oh, this is great. This is wonderful. He has no flaws. And then you wake up the second morning, and Stephanie goes, no, he's got some flaws. And we've been married now over 30 years. Right? The highest of highs, the lowest of lows, and everything, you know, I'm talking with Stephanie. <laughs> it is a gift from God, but it's a covenant for better, for worse, for sickness and health, and rich and poor. Because as you do that, the love flourishes that. Because see, in a covenant relationship, love is measured not by how much I, it's not measured by how much I get for myself. Love is measured by how much I give. When you're in that covenant relationship, this is what God is talking about. The Song of Solomon is coming through. It's this covenant relationship. It's not measured about what I get for myself. It's measured by what I give. Give him to the other person. This is why this covenantal, this godly marriage is so powerful. Because those that are married, they have a commitment for today and the future. We both said to each other, I'm going to love you today, and I'm going to love you every tomorrow that's out there. When it's not, it's like, I'm going to love you today as long as it feels good, and we'll see how tomorrow goes. <laughs> and this washes over our children. When you make that promise to be here today and the future, right, that no matter what, dad's there for you, no matter what, mom's there for you, no matter what, here, we are here. We're going to have some conversations about some stuff. But we're here. No matter what. And see, though the Song of Solomon focuses on the love of the couple getting married, this is the illustration of God's love for us. This is how God loves for us. I love you today. I made you. I made you in my image. And that's why we talk about it all the time that no matter where you are, because I recognize as I speak this in this room, that probably every one of us, we've been broken by the misuse of this or we've broken somebody else by the misuse of this. See, everyone has felt the trauma of this in some way. That's why wherever you are today, whatever you've been through today, I want you to know these three things. First of all, God knows. And God loves you. This is the beauty of God. God sees everything that we've ever done, everything we've ever thought, everything we've spoken. And yet he says, I love you. The Bible says that while we were in sin, while we were broken, while we were doing stuff, that's when God said, I'm going to send my son to die. And why do you do that? Because he wants to bring healing to your life. He wants to restore you 
No matter where you've gone, if God is here in the center and you've gone all the way over here, the minute you turn around and you take that one step, God's right there. It's amazing. It blows my mind. He's like that dad with the prodigal son that blew the inheritance, that knew better. He had the knowledge, but he never applied it. He went off and he wasted it, and he just got involved in everything. And then he blew his money, and he found himself in a pig pen eating their slop. And he was like, you know what? At least at home. <laughs> it was better than that. And while he was out partying and doing all of his stuff, Jesus told this parable where the dad, he was just looking. Just looking. For that day that that child would turn and come back and be like, Dad, I know I messed it up. I blew everything. I blew the inheritance. I blew so many opportunities. What did the dad do? <laughs> Gave him a ring. He put a cloak around him. He said, we're going to have a feast. Why? Because you're home. This is the love of God. And you're like, how does this relate to, this, to the intimacy and, and the sex and everything that's happened? God's saying, this, this was a precious gift that I've given. And even when you've broken it, the message of God is that I will redeem, I will heal. It's a message that we need to know. It's a message that the, the culture that we're in today needs to know. No matter where you've gone. See, Satan will speak shame to your life. Satan will try to condemn you and press you down. The Holy Spirit convicts you to say, healing is over here. Step over here. Because here's the thing today, whether you're married, single, wherever you are today, the voice of the Father is saying, trust a thing. God works all things to the good. And by good, he means that transformation, that shaping in the way of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Do you want to allow Jesus to shape your heart and your mind and your soul and to give you the strength to not just know the right thing, but to actually do it in the walk in his plan? See, following Jesus is not affirmational. It's not just saying that that's true. Following Jesus is transformational. We were talking about that this past week we can affirm a lot of things Jesus will transform you he will make you new don't just affirm this today be transformed by this today amen amen so Lord in these moments we walk do your work of healing in us we pray in your name amen let's continue to respond to the word of the Lord today Jesus we love you and God we know that we only can love you because you first loved us. You led the way. So, Lord, thank you. And, Lord, I pray that you continue, Lord, as we continue to walk in this way. We know we're walking, we're, we are swimming upstream. And so many times we can feel like the current is taking us away, but, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, strengthen us to walk. And, Lord, when we mess up, Lord, help us not to give in to the voice of condemnation from the enemy, but to hear the voice of the Spirit that it calls us back. You were, you even told the disciples that every time you'd be there to forgive, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Aren't you glad for the love of the Lord today? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord.
And, and let me encourage you in this, air, this arena because you're only going to hear this message around people who, who know the Lord and they walk in the Lord and they walk in those, those ways. Be encouraged. Man, find a group. Connect with people that you can talk about this. Allow it. And again, and I, I want to say this word too, that as we gather together and as we come, I, this, every area is difficult. But I want you to know there's no shame in this. There's no condemnation in this. There's only coming to the Lord to be transformed through the power of Jesus. As we confess this to one another, my experience has been this is a wonderful body of Christ where we grow together in Jesus. Amen? There's things that God, he's transformed me in and it's been boom. And I remember we had one person that, that, that was a, what church I was at. She sought the Lord 20 years and she finally got breakthrough and victory. And that's an amen to the Lord. Amen to the Lord. So wherever you are, don't give up. Get with people. Talk with people. And let's be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 This is our benediction. Let's say this together. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Now go and live for Jesus in the love of Jesus. Love you all so much. God bless.